0: Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. You may be seated. Open your Bible with me to Psalm 109. Psalm 109. We're in the middle of 30 days of prayer. So for 30 days, we're concentrating on prayer and teaching on prayer. We're partnering up with our other churches throughout the United States and in Europe who are partnering with us in this endeavor. And so in this endeavor on the Word of Faith app, which is our church in Southfield, we have created a number of devotionals, video devotionals or written devotionals for each of these 30 days of prayer. I know I'm doing one of the devotionals. Bishop has some. Pastor Andre has some. Minister Michelle has some. So make sure you download that app and follow along with the video devotionals every morning. And we're also encouraging and challenging the people to pray at least 30 minutes a day. If you already pray more than 30 minutes, we'll up whatever you do for the rest of this 30-day challenge, and we know God is going to do some amazing things. So Psalm 109, verse 1, and if you weren't here on Wednesday, I encourage you to listen to that message on the podcast or online so you can look at some of the foundation we laid. Notice what David says in the psalm, hold not your peace, O God, of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue they compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. David is under immense pressure. He's surrounded with people who hate him, but notice his response in the midst of intense persecution. I give myself to prayer. By saying I give myself to prayer, or if you remove the italicized, which was added for the aid of the translator, he's saying, I prayer or I am prayer. David made prayer his identity. Prayer consumed him until he identified himself as prayer. Can you say that about yourself today? A lot of us identify as many different things, but could you identify as prayer today? Charles Spurgeon, speaking of this passage, said, he, David, became prayer. They, his enemies, became malice. David became prayer. His enemies became malice. We have to watch out in the times we live in and with the social media vomit we see. And if you wonder why I call vomit, listen to last week's message. I said vomit 20 to 30 times, and I think y'all might be tired of hearing vomit today. We can get caught up with the criticism the cynicism, and all the judging that goes on in the world. If, we don't, if we're not cautious or careful, we'll start talking just like the rest of the world. I like what Pastor Mekon Carter said. He says, if you're not going to pray about it, don't post about it. If you're not going to pray about it, don't post about it. It's easy to post, to tweet. It's easy to share your opinions with the world. But why not pray and actually do something that makes a difference? Prayer and action, not just social media activists. We need to pray. We need to make sure prayer becomes our identity, not malice. We must be on guard to not become cynical like the rest of the world, like David's enemies. We need to identify as prayer. And so that's one of the things we're doing over this 30 days of prayer. We're developing a culture of prayer in our own lives and in our church that we can say by the time we get to October, I am prayer. That means prayer has become your lifestyle. Prayer is not just something you do on Sundays or when you wake up in the morning. It's a continual conversation between you and God throughout the day. It has to be your lifestyle. Whatever you do consistency, consistently is your lifestyle. A lot of people want to get fit and lose weight but they don't like the lifestyle of fitness. We like the lifestyle of fitness the first week of the new year. You may sign up for a new gym membership. You may even hire a trainer. But by the time Valentine's Day comes around, the chocolate looks too good. And you're like, well, what was my new year resolution again? In order to be in shape, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle telling that donut no. Even if the Krispy Kreme light is on. It's a lifestyle driving by. You know, it'd be great if we could eat all we want and rebuke the calories. That doesn't work that way. And don't say, get thee behind me, because it just might do that. You don't want that to happen. (laughs) In order to be fit, it has to be a lifestyle. Same thing with prayer. If we want to identify as prayer, it has to be our lifestyle. So go to 1 Peter chapter 3. we'll cover some of the basics of prayer today. First Peter chapter 3 verse 12. First Peter chapter 3 verse 12. He says for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, for the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. This scripture lets us know that God wants to answer the prayers of the righteous. Say, God wants to answer my prayers. We have to develop a biblical mentality concerning prayer. A religious mentality is, I don't know if I should really pray. I might be bothering God. He may be tired of me talking to him about that. Notice I said that's religious, not biblical. The biblical side of prayer is God is looking to answer your prayers. He's looking for your communication with him. He enjoys you being in his presence. You're not bugging God by coming to him. Even when you praise and worship, even if you can't carry a note in a bucket, God likes to hear you sing. Your neighbor may not like it, but God likes it. So go ahead and sing loud anyways. If necessary, we'll hand out earplugs, but that's okay. God likes it to hear you sing. God likes to hear you pray, because he loves you. So our working definition of prayer for 30 days of prayer is twofold. Prayer is communication with God, and prayer is working with God. Prayer is communication with God, and prayer is working with God. There is a side of prayer where you are communicating to God, And there is a part of prayer where you are working with God through your praying. Both happen in prayer, and we'll cover it as we go through this series this month. Prayer is not supposed to be a boring ritual and discipline that a Christian must suffer through. That you can just check it off. I prayed today, Jesus. Look, I am spiritual. I prayed. Do you know how hard that was for me? I prayed. That's not how prayer is supposed to be for the believer. There is a God-sized adventure that awaits every praying believer. There is a God-sized adventure that awaits every praying believer. If your time of prayer is not adventurous yet, you haven't gone anywhere yet. You may have seen prayer answered, but you haven't begun the adventure that awaits praying people. We'll get into that more, but first we have to cover the basics of prayer. When the Apollo missions and other NASA shuttles were launched into space, they will communicate with the Johnson Space Center in Houston. In order for them to have a successful journey, they must stay in communication with the mission control in Houston. In order for you to be successful in any area of your life, you must stay in communication with your mission control. That's why we're calling this series, Houston, Come In. Are you staying in constant contact with your mission control so that you can live this journey the way you're supposed to be, so that you can get through this thing called life, not just get through, but get through victoriously? Now, when they are preparing to launch a rocket or shuttle, they run a launch status check. If everything is operating correctly, they say this phrase, all systems are. Go. Say it with me. All systems go. You have spiritual internal systems that need to be in operation if you expect to go the distance in your journey of prayer. Because if these systems aren't operating correctly, you won't go that far. It'll just be a ritual to you. Or even if you begin the journey, you'll stop short. There is an adventure in prayer for you. You can get to the point when you run out of time and you have to go do something else. You will rather be praying than doing whatever you're doing. There's an adventure in the spirit for the praying believer. I remember a number of years ago when I was living in Texas, you know, there were things I was encountering in prayer, and I went to go talk to Bishop, my pastor, my mentor. I said, I just want to make sure that I ain't missing it somewhere. And I said, here's one of the things that I've been encountering. Here's the type of things that have been happening. And I began to tell him, so yeah, that's happening because you've been praying in the spirit more. I never told him I was praying in the spirit more. He says, it's called adventures in the spirit. And that awaits the praying believer. So all systems go. When it comes to prayer, would you receive an all systems go from your mission control? Or would you hear there is a launch failure somewhere? A whole bunch of air lights everywhere around your machinery saying, don't launch. Please don't launch. So let's talk about what systems have to be in operation so you can launch successfully and take this journey. Go to Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. I know we'll come back to this passage later on in our series. But notice what Jesus says in verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray. Notice he's talking about things. There's a different type of thing when you pray for people. But there's a different type of way you pray when you're praying for things. So he says, what things soever you desire, or in today's speech, whatever you want. When you pray, believe that you receive them. What's the them? Those things, what you want. And you shall have them. Believe that you receive. Another word for receive is to take. Meaning that when you believe in prayer, you take what you're asking for. Faith takes what it asks for in prayer. By the time you say amen, your mentality has to be that I have exactly what I just asked for. Even if I'm believing for a brand-new car, I stand on the word, I ask God for it, I receive it, I have it. I have my car now, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't see a car. You just said, faith says, the Bible says, it takes it in prayer. So faith takes it before it shows up in the natural. And if you want to get anything from God, that's how you have to pray. I don't know that. Go to James 1. James chapter 1. Verse five, James chapter one, verse five. By the time you say amen, you must believe you have exactly what you asked for. James chapter one, verse five. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraid if not. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in what? Nothing wavering. For he that wavers or is tossed to and fro goes from one opinion to the other is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man, what man? The one that goes between two opinions. That one goes that back and forth, that one day believes that God is going to do exactly what I prayed and goes to the another day, I'm not sure if God's going to come through for me. Goes back to, I believe I receive, pastor, preached a good message. I'm in faith today to go back, I don't know what I'm going to do. Go back, yes, my faith is working. And then going back, I, I, it, it may not happen for me. It may happen for those people, but it may not happen for me. That person. Think that he shall receive anything. Of the Lord. Anything. So the reason you may have not seen your prayer answered so far is not because God is not faithful to his word, is you're not faithful to yourself. You don't believe the word of God, and you don't believe your own words. So you go back and forth between two opinions, and you lose out what God is trying to give you. We have to make up our mind that by the time we say, amen, I have exactly what I prayed for. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. You have to understand, God wants you to get what you're praying for more than you want to get it yourself. We need to make sure the system of faith is operational if we're really going to take this journey of prayer. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith. What is faith? It's belief. It's conviction. It's confidence. It's assurance. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe or must have faith that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When we come to God in prayer and praise and worship, to hear his word, to give our tithes and offering, and any other time, we must believe he is. When I took Spanish in high school, when they're teaching us to conjugate the verb, it had different sections. You had the I, the you, the he, the she. You had we. You had the different versions of they. That's how they conjugated the verb. When you're saying he is, it's just a form of saying I am. When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he said, Moses says, who should I tell them sent me? He said, I am that I am. And the Hebrew even says, I shall be who I shall be. Tell them I am whatever they need. They need to deliver, I got that. They need a healer, I got that. That's why when his name is Jehovah Rapha, it means I am healer. Jehovah Jireh, I am provider. Jehovah Shalom, I am peace. Jehovah Raha, I am your shepherd, so you shall not lack. Jehovah Tiskanu, I am your righteous. I am the one that makes everything all right. I am, I got it, it's all in me. I am the self-existent one who manifests himself. And I manifest myself at your point of need. So he says, you must believe that he is. He is everything you need him to be. Our faith should not be in salvation. Our faith should not be in healing or peace or wisdom, breakthrough, protection, victory, or prosperity. Your faith has to be in the God who saves. Your faith has to be in the God who heals. Your faith has to be in the God who gives peace, the God who gives wisdom, the God who causes breakthrough, the God who protects, the God who gives victory, and the God who prospers. Why? That's who he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You must believe that he is and that he's going to give you what you're requesting. Seeking means to require. It means to search out, to inquire, to crave, to demand. It's a heroism for worship. Rewarder means one who pays wages to pay for goods, service, and losses. Faith believes that God is a rewarder. So you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. But you also need to believe what John teaches, he is love. What's the number one reason God is going to give you what you pray for? Not because of your faith, but because he loves you. Not because you've done enough of good works to get something from God. All of our good works are like filthy rags. We all need the blood of Jesus so we became the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. We all need Jesus. Our works are not enough. We receive from God because he loves us. So when you come to God in prayer, when he come and praise and worship, when you give your tithes of your offering, whenever you come before God, you must believe that he loves you. Because if you question his love for you, your faith won't work. Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith, faith is always now, not the future, is the substance or the confidence or the essence of things hoped for, the evidence or the proof or the conviction of things not seen. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that means the word of God is also the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The word things here means deed. So faith and the word of God is the title deed of what you're praying for. You may pray for something that in the natural you have no evidence is going to happen. The only thing that guarantees you is your title is the word of God and the faith that's in your heart. And that has to be enough. Because we walk by faith, not by, we walk by faith, not our natural senses. So you must get to a point where you can believe God, even if everything else looks like it's never going to happen. It's never going to change. Nothing's going to be good. No matter, I said, you don't know my family history, Pastor. You don't know what happened to my mother and my father. I didn't even know one of them. You don't know what happened to my grandparents and my great grandparents. You don't know my life circumstances. Sweetie, I don't need to know your life circumstances. I just need to know this book. And if you believe it and use your faith, you can have what you pray. You can have what you say because God is faithful to his word. But you must get to a place where you use your faith by yourself. Not needing someone else to use their faith for you. We understand that we have to take care of babies in the natural. They can do nothing by themselves. Once people are born again, they're spiritual babies. They need a lot of help. But some of you have been saved 50 years. 50 years. Y'all shouldn't be wearing your diapers, your spiritual pull-ups. We got to grow up in faith. Because just because you've been saved 50 years doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. You can be saved 50 years and our kids and kids all more spiritually mature than you. If you're not consistently going forward, you are becoming more spiritually and mature. And you have to be mature in faith. Go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Making sure the system of faith is working in our life so that we can hear all systems go and go on this journey God has for us in prayer and in life. 1 John 5, 14. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. How do we know the will of God? The will of God is the word of God. So that means you cannot pray, Lord, if it be thy will. Open the book and find out his will. Well, it happened in the gospel. Someone said, if it be thy will. Yes. He says, if it be thy will, Jesus answered forever, I will be thou healed. So you can't ask, well, is it your will that I be healed? He already proved it to you and suffered for you. You have to find out his will from his word. When it comes to to questions concerning your purpose and direction, then you ask for wisdom. Because it's his will that you have wisdom, you pray for wisdom, you receive it, and he stops saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's unbiblical. He says, well, pastor, I really don't know what I'm going to do. Well, keep a finger here, go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But you have an unction or an anointing from the Holy One, and you know what? Say that one more time. Just one more time. So I cannot say biblically, I don't know what to do. Because the Holy Spirit who knows everything, how many of you agree the Holy Ghost knows everything? If you are saved, he lives in here. So the one who knows everything lives in here. And because he does, you know everything. Verse 27 says he teaches you. So that means I can't say biblically I don't know what to do. Because the wisdom of what I need to do is on the inside of me. It's not like I'm waiting for it to come from heaven. It's already here. So do you know what you should say? I don't know what I'm going to do yet. But I'll know very shortly, and I'll do it. Don't let the words of your mouth cancel the words that you pray. Make a decision. What are you going to believe, what you pray or what you say? Because you're going to pick one, and you want to make sure that both line up. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, because faith begins where the will of God is known. So we see faith is a system that has to operate. But is your faith working efficiently? Because you can build this huge structure of faith. Fill it up with gas, but it only goes one mile down the street. Your faith doesn't go that far. Is your faith efficient? How far can your faith go? Well, how do you make your faith efficient? Go to Galatians 5, 6. How far can your faith go? Because your faith has to go somewhere. You have to release your faith. You have to replenish your faith and release your faith. Someone came up to Oral Roberts one day and said, Oral Roberts have all the faith in the world. And he said, that's your problem. You never released it. You have to use your faith. You have to release your faith and you have to replenish your faith. It's a consistent thing. Faith is a leaky substance. Just because you had faith 20 years ago doesn't mean you have faith today. Faith must continually be refilled and reused. Galatians 5, 6, the latter part of the verse says, faith which worketh by love. That word worketh means to be active, to be operative, and to be efficient. So is your faith efficient? How far will your faith go? It depends with how much love is in your faith. To what extent do you believe that God loves you? And how far or how much do you love others? So let's start this first of all. How many of you believe that God loves Jesus? God the Father loves Jesus. We all agree that. It's like, well, of course, Jesus was perfect. He did everything the Father asked. He died for us, was raised from the dead. Of course, God loves Jesus. John 3.36 in the message version says, the Father loves the Son extravagantly. He turned everything over to him so that he could give it away, a lavish distribution of gifts. God loves Jesus extravagantly. Tommy, I agree. So that seems the truth. God the Father loves Jesus extravagantly. But what does that have to do with me? Go to John 17 verse 23. John 17, verse 23. Notice what Jesus says at the end of this verse. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for those who believe on their word. That's us. So he's praying for us and his original apostles and disciples. And notice what he says at the end of this verse, that you have sent me And you have loved them as you have loved me. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. God loves you extravagantly. Say, God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Say, God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. One more time. God loves me. As much as he loves Jesus. To the degree that you believe that will be to the degree you experience it. To the degree you believe of God's love for you will be to the degree you experience God's love for you. Go to 1 John chapter 4. Love makes your faith efficient and active. And in order to have all systems go, faith must be working, love must be working. First John four sixteen. and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. Most Christians have a mental knowledge of God loves me, and it stops right there. They know about the love of God, but when you really get down to it and ask them, and they answer honestly... They don't believe that God loves them really because they say, well, yeah, I know kind of he loves me, but I messed up. You don't know what I did 10 years ago. You don't know what I said to someone five years ago. You don't know what I did this weekend. You don't know how it took me to come in here. I have a hangover. You don't know. I'm just trying to smile. God can't love me. He may love you, preacher, but God can't love me that way. Yes, he does. His love has nothing to do with what you did. Knowing you on your worst day, God still chose to send Jesus because he loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done, how they label you, what they said about you, God loves you. And you must believe that. You must know and believe the love God has for you. God is love, and he that dwells or makes a home and continues or abides in love dwells in God and God in him. And here is our love made perfect or mature, so love can grow up. It can become more mature, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. A lot of people view judgment day as a fearful thing that when judgment day comes, they're scared. They're concerned. Now, there is the judgment seat of Christ, and there is the great white throne judgment. If you are a believer, you won't stand at the great white throne judgment, because everyone who stands at that judgment is going to the lake of fire. But every Christian will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. But if you are afraid of standing there, You are not grown up in love. Wait a minute, Pastor, I'm not supposed to be afraid of Judgment Day? No. Because if you're living right, it's reward day. It's well done day. It's enter into the joy of your master day. It's here's all the stuff I prepared for you today. It's here, let me show you your mansion today. Here, how do you like this view today? For those who follow God, Judgment Day is not a scary day. It's Celebration Day. And if you are still afraid of God punishing you on Judgment Day, you are not grown up in love. God is not looking to punish you. How do I know that? He punished Jesus for you. Everything you deserve, he put on Jesus. All sickness and disease was put on Jesus. As he was crushed, he was bruised for our perversity, for our lifestyles, for our sin, for our rebellion, for our transgressions. It was put on Jesus. The cat of nine tails whipped him 39 different times, yanking out his flesh. He didn't even look like a man. He was stretched high, Ten pegs were put through his hand. He was crucified. He hung his head and he died. Then he went to hell for you. We deserved that death. We deserve to go to hell. That was our punishment. But God put it on Jesus because he loves you. So God raised them from the dead for your justification. So now you're not some old sinner saved by grace. That's an oxymoron. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is your identity. That is who you are. Identify with what the blood did for you. So God is not looking to punish you. He's looking to love you. Cuz Jesus took your punishment. So you can't say, "Well, God is punishing me cuz I did this." He already punished Jesus. He said in 1 Corinthians 11, "If you judge yourselves, you will not be judged." What does it mean to judge yourself? 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's written to believers. Even after you're saved, you will sin and make mistakes. So how do you judge yourself? Father, I messed up. That is sin. I shouldn't have done that. I judge myself. I shouldn't have done that. I confess it before you. I received the forgiveness purchased for me by the blood of Jesus. I am now clean, and I thank you for it. You judged yourself, and now you turn from it, there's no punishment coming to you. God is not trying to punish you. So get the image out of your head of God sitting on his throne with a lightning bolt ready to zap you. That is not your heavenly father. You're picturing Zeus. Picture God. He loves you. So if your love's working, just see if you feel nervous about Judgment Day. And if you do, see why you feel nervous. Ooh, I need to fix that. Fix that. And look forward to Judgment Day. You know, it's going to mess up the world when people say, oh, I'm just waiting for Judgment Day. What do you mean you're waiting for Judgment Day? Oh, no, the judge likes me. (laughs) The judge is my daddy. I got the hookup. You may be nervous, but me, I'm gonna walk in and say, What's up, Dad? How you doing? What you got for me? You have to have that same confidence. And when people in the world encounter you like that, they say, Can I get to that place? Yes, you can. Pray with me right now. Come on this journey with me. Christianity is not supposed to be a clique, we are a movement. We're not contained to these four walls. We call this experience because we want you to experience God, experience His Word, His presence, and His love, but the service begins when we leave. The service begins when we go affect our community, when we affect our schools, when we affect our workplace, when we affect wherever we go. That is our service. This is the experience where you get tanked up, ready to do life. God loves you. Because as He is, so are we in this world, we're supposed to be the exact representation of Jesus. There is no fear in love, but mature, grown-up love evicts fear because fear has torment. Another test, are you growing up in love, is are, are you always afraid? Are you always worried about something? See, being a good worrier is a skill that you've developed because the thing is, even when there's something not to worry about, you worry because there's nothing to worry about. All that is is fear and belief in the enemy's power to harm you greater than God's power to protect you. So how do you get rid of that? You meditate on the love of God. What do you mean by meditate? You say throughout the day and you think throughout the day, God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. You sing songs about the love of God. I sing to my daughter every day, Jesus loves you, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Why do I sing that every day? She's 17 months. She may not get it yet, but what am I doing? I'm building in her on the inside in her spirit a confidence that God loves her. That if she grows up with the mentality that God loves me as much as he loves Jesus, nothing will be impossible for her. She won't be afraid of life because she knows she has a heavenly father who loves her. We all have to get that mentality concerning how much God loves us. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Can't get clearer than that. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. Jesus told us in John 15 to continue in his love. And then he says later to, for us to love others as he has loved us. So we must know and believe the extravagant love God has for us. If we do not, our faith will be hindered because we are unsure if he will grant us our request. But the love of God that is placed in us, Paul's writer says the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, has to also flow horizontal. We're not just supposed to be recipients of the love of God, we're supposed to be conduits of his love. Receiving the answer to your prayer can be hindered by not walking in love. We'll get to this in future weeks, but when you read Mark 11, 25, and 26, unforgiveness will shut down your faith. Unforgiveness will keep you from receiving what God has for you. That's one of the reasons we say all the time here, I forgive everybody of everything. Why? I want that to echo through your heart through the week. What are you doing when you're saying that? You are practicing forgiveness, and whatever you practice, you will eventually perfect. So you can practice forgiveness when you're not offended. You can walk into places I forgive everybody in here. It's like, they didn't do anything to me. That doesn't matter, practice forgiveness. Because if you start walking like that, you won't be so mad at the waitress because they messed up your order. Little side note, as my cousin would say, chicken nugget on the side. Come on, be nice to waiters and waitresses, please. We shouldn't be the cheapest tippers we shouldn't be the rudest people just because you're hungry after church. <laughs> we should be known, known for being the most generous people. Bless your waiter, waitress. I didn't say tip them accordingly to how they did. No matter what someone services, they always get at least 18% from me. If they do amazing, I give even more. Why? I'm here to bless people. So my focus is not, did you do everything I wanted you to do? Because what happens if my meal comes back wrong? They may have said, right, the cook could have messed it up. Why am I going to fuss out the waiter or the waitress? So even when I'm giving the tip, I'm checking my spirit. Okay, God, what do you want me to put down? Other times, just bless them, so I up it. Why? I'm here to be a blessing. You know, if you develop that mentality, you're not going to get to a point where there's not something in your hand to do it. I like what Mark Hankins says. He said, if you get addicted to giving, God will support your habit. We are called to be a generous people, not stingy. So how do we know when to give? We check in with our heart. God, what do you want me to do with this situation? When you move with compassion, you combine it with the wisdom of God, and that produces the miraculous. So when you feel moved to do something, ask God, how would you like me to handle this situation? However he tells you to do, that's what you do. We're called to be a generous people. We can't walk in unforgiveness. We can't walk into offense. You think that's going to hurt somebody else, it just keeps you in your own prison. Walking in unforgiveness is like drinking poison every day thinking it's going to hurt the person who offended you. Offense is an event, being offended is a choice. Jesus' offense comes to everybody. Whether you're offended or not is your choice. And you have to make a decision to let all offense go, to forgive everybody of everything. You must make a choice not to worry, but to believe in the love of God. I like what Pastor Furtick says. He says, if you're good at worrying, you're going to be great at worship. Because why? When you worry, that's all that fills your mind. But when you believe God loves you and you become a worshiper, that's all that fills your mind. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. We have to walk in love towards each other. I want you this week to read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 in the Amplified version, the classic edition, every day. And where it says love, I want you to put your name in. So instead of saying, love is patient, you say, your name is patient. Because that 4 through 8 describes what the love of God is supposed to be in you. So that's what I want you to go through this week. And wherever seems to be the place you seem to be the greatest offense happens, put that up where you can see it. Now, if you're a person that got road rage issues and you're always offended when you're driving, record yourself saying it and just hit play. Don't close your eyes and pray. Please no. Keep your eyes open on 285. We got enough issues on 285 without people trying to drive and pray with their eyes closed. Watch and pray. (laughs) We have to be love people. I want our culture here to be so strong of the love of God that when people come in, they experience love to such an extent they feel like they belong before they believe. That no matter how they came in, no matter what they believed when they came in, they're going to be brought to saying, I got to think about what I believe because I ran into some people who actually love people. Go to Ephesians 2. Let's finish this thing out. Ephesians 2, verse 8. Let's close here. We talked about faith, we talked about love, if they both operate correctly, we can have all systems go and journey in this life together. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace has over 19 different definitions in the New Testament alone. Some are gift, favor, divine influence upon the heart, spiritual gifts, the anointing. Benefit, the power of God, graciousness, thanksgiving, thanks, what is acceptable, and even more. In the context of our time together, a summary of grace can be defined as God's overwhelming desire to treat you like sin never happened. Grace is God's overwhelming desire to treat you like sin never happened. Not just that you never sinned, but if Adam and mankind never sinned. Grace is God's original intent to put you back to where you actually belong. Grace is designed to elevate us to the position of man before the fall and higher. Another definition of grace that we'll use going forward is anything that came from God as a gift through Jesus is grace. Anything that came from God as a gift through Jesus is grace. God's grace is an expression of his extravagant love for you. Whatever you're praying for today, whatever you're believing for today, can be settled by a manifestation of grace. And the manifestation of grace in your life is because he loves you. Now, it says grace in this context means it's a gift, meaning you did not work for it. Now, this is just an example. As I said, this is just an example. Say, Pastor said, this is an example. Let's say a little bit louder just in case we have to play it back in a legal court. Say, pastor said, this is an example. So let's say I pulled out keys to a Maserati. And I said, with these keys calls, all the money you need for your insurance. I put some extra money in your bank account so you can fill up the gas. All you have to do is take it. And so... You take it, and then you turn around and says, didn't you see how great my muscles worked? Didn't you see how I reached out and I took those keys? Didn't I do awesome? Didn't you see me took those keys? No, no one would think that. People will be more amazed by the giver than the person that received. It's of grace, so you can't boast about it. You can't say, well, I did all these things. That's why God saved me. That's as foolish as, didn't you see how my muscles took those keys? We always point back to the giver. We are saved by grace through faith. Or saved by grace is also translated through the channel of faith. Faith is important but grace is more important. Now, you see that door back there? This is continuing with the example. Just an example. Let's say behind that door is a Maserati, that same Maserati, that all you have to do to get that Maserati is walk through that door. What is greater, the door or the Maserati. How many let's ask the question again. What is greater? The door or the Maserati? How many of you say door? How many of you say Maserati? How many of you say I ain't gonna answer no matter what you ask me? <laughs> now that door probably costs about a hundred bucks. That Maserati, way over $100,000. The Maserati is greater than the door. The door is necessary, but it's not greater than the Maserati. Faith is necessary. Faith is great, but it's not greater than the grace. You need faith to get the grace. Whatever you're asking for in prayer is part of the manifestation of grace. Faith is how you get the answer to your prayer that has been given to you by the great grace of God, which is an expression of his extravagant love for you. Faith is a channel. It's like a highway. And some places there are one road streets. Some places there are two road streets. Some places there are six-lane highways. Some places there are 12-lane highways. How wide your channel of faith is depends on the belief you have in the love of God and how you walk in love towards others. It's not a question, does God want to bless you? It's just, is your channel wide enough to receive the blessing? Is your faith wide enough to receive the blessing? Is your love walk wide enough to receive the blessing? It's not, does God want to bless you, but it's, is you, are you ready to receive? Because God is more ready to give than you are ready to Receive. Grace is God's extravagant love for us. It flows through the channel of faith. Whatever we are saved by is what we live by. Whatever we are saved by is what we live by. We are saved by grace through faith. So that's how we live. So how are you going to get your needs met? Grace through faith. How is your body going to be healed? Grace through faith. How are you going to receive wisdom to know what to do? Grace through faith. How are you going to put your family back together? Grace through faith. How are you going to prosper in this life? Grace through faith. Whatever you are saved by is what you live by. So don't go trying to say, I'm going to do enough works to get God to like me. Grace It's a gift. Everything I do is just connecting to the gift. Everything I do is just exercising the faith so I can receive the grace. Not for him I can say, didn't you see all the amazing things that I did? Is, can you look at the giver with me? Can you look at the one who loves me as much as he loves Jesus? Can you look at the one who loves you too, and all you have to do is receive just like I received. All you have to do is stretch out and take those keys. It's not because I'm some amazing person. It's because my faith is in the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world. The Lamb of God who took the sins of the entire world. There's nothing keeping you from Jesus. No sin can keep you from God. God doesn't send people to hell. He's only sent one man to hell, and that was Jesus. Your sins don't take you to hell. There's only one thing that sends people to hell, and that's rejecting Jesus. Not making a decision for him is the same as rejecting him. So you don't go to hell for lying or cheating or whatever else you can think of. Because Jesus paid for it. Hell is not for you. People go there all the time, but it was never meant for them. Jesus took that punishment for you. So you have to stop looking at your own works. Look at the giver and the gift. And as you concentrate on the giver and the gift, you will line up your life to live the way you're supposed to live. A true belief in grace doesn't mean you live any way you want. It means I live the way the one who loved me wants me to. Some people have a religious mindset. Stand to your feet. They have this religious mindset that I will do whatever God wants me to do because I owe him everything. I owe God everything. He did so much for me, I owe him everything. No. Salvation is a gift. If you receive a gift, you owe the giver nothing. You don't owe God anything. It's a gift. But once you receive the gift, because you believe in his love, it's like now I will follow you with all that I have. Not because I owe you. Not because it's a debt I owe, but because I love you. Notice the difference. It takes you from religious performance. To living like a son and a daughter in the house of the love of your father. Not always scared that God's going to judge you. Not always concerned that God's going to punish you. Not always concerned about all the bad things that can happen to you because you made mistakes. But God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. See, when you believe that, it's easier to pray. It's easier to come before God and ask what you need to ask to Ask for his wisdom, to ask for his direction, and believe you receive because you believe you're not serving someone who's looking to zap you and judge you and kill you. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly because he loves you. You have to respond to his love. Every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. No one moving or walking unless you've been assigned to do so. Every head bow, every close and pray. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart save me now forgive me of my sins fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life if you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart we believe you've been born again we ask that you email us at info at fccga.com that's fccga.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today have an amazing day